You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host, and it's Monday, and Mondays typically suck, so I hope that this Monday I can turn the suckage down just a little bit with this Hunter Profile podcast with Eli Gazelle from Minnesota. He's going to talk to us a little bit about a buck that he had chased for two years and found the sheds to, had several trail camera pictures of, and played chess with him for two years, and ultimately the buck was harvested, not by him, but that happens every year. I mean, I don't know how many times I chase a buck for the you know for two three years I, I get the trail camera pictures of him I just when I think I'm gonna connect with this buck something happens where I have to go back to work or you know it rains and I, I miss an opportunity or shotgun season comes around here in Iowa and the buck gets harvested so that's a little bit about that's a little foreshadowing here about this particular podcast but it's a cool story, and it just lets you know that no matter how hard you work at a particular buck, sometimes it's just not meant to be. So, without further ado, further ado, okay, she, I can't even talk right now. Without further ado, here is this week's Hunter Profile podcast with Eli Gazelle from Minnesota. All right, on the phone with me now is Eli Gazelle. How's it going today, Eli? Pretty good, Dan. Good deal, good deal. All right, first, let's go ahead and start this uh, hunter profile out by, you know, basically we're we're going to be sharing the story of, of this particular deer. But uh, before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what do you do for a living? Uh, my name is Eli Gazelle, and I am an inspector at a sheet metal parts manufacturing shop. And I live in central Minnesota. Got ya. How far away now? Is central Minnesota, are you north of the Twin Cities? North, about uh, two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, okay. So north of the Twin Cities, what uh, – is that a, is that big-time logging company or, or like logging area, or is that further north yet? That's that's quite a bit further north. Uh, it's a lot of egg land. And a big manufacturing area we live in, actually. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking about a, a deer that um, you hunted for a couple years and ended up 
not connecting with and somebody else connected with it. So before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about, about your hunting style. Are you strictly a bow hunter or strictly a gun hunter or, or do you do a little bit of both? I do a little bit of both. I uh, generally don't like to gun hunt as much as bow hunt, but the past couple of seasons, my oldest son was old enough to hunt, so I decided to pick the gun back up again Okay. and uh, try to get him a deer. How old is he? He turned 12 this year. He turned 12, and how old are you? 31. 31. All righty. Let's see here. So... Before a season starts, what what are are you doing any type of uh trail running trail cameras, preparation, that kind of things? Yeah, I uh I run quite a few trail cameras, uh, a few mineral sites, uh we get a few food plots going and uh it's kind of a twelve month operation for me anyway. So you so you're just like the rest of us, you're you're a, a kind of a whitetail freak then, right? Yep, absolutely. Do you do a lot of shed hunting? I do. It seems like it's hit or miss on the properties that I have access to. It's one winter they winter there, the next winter they're gone by the time mid-January rolls around. So it's uh, it's a little bit of a struggle. So, uh, you know, since you're running a lot of trail cameras and, and thinking about deer 24-7, are you seeing in some, any type of annual pattern with the deer on the property that you have uh, access to hunt? Yes. Yes and no. I mean, it, without, uh, it all depends on what the crop rotation is doing. You know? Go, um, ahead and, go ahead and elaborate on that a little bit. It seems like the years when there's more beans around the section that I can hunt on that there's more deer. But in turn, in those deer, they pretty much evacuate as soon as January rolls around because there's nothing left to eat. When we have more corn and or alfalfa on the same section, then it seems like they'll winter there a little better. Okay. And that in turn puts more deer on your property throughout the entire season? It seems like it, but in the fall when hunting season is around, if we have beans on that section, it seems to me like there's more deer for some reason. Okay. I got you. Pro- you know, one thing that I've noticed over the years is that uh, deer seem to be hang around where the bean, like they'd rather eat beans first before they eat corn. I don't know. Right. Are, are you seeing that? I do. Early when they're growing and they're green, you know, they're always in there. But uh, it seems like on our place, once that cold weather hits, they eat corn more than they'll eat beans. Yeah, yeah. Now, describe uh, how many acres are you? Do you have access to hunt? On this particular section, I have almost three hundred. Three hundred. All right. Yeah. So, describe what this three hundred acres looks like. You know, tell me about the timber that's in it. Tell me about, you know, if it's all ag or that. I would say it's of that 300, 100, 120 of it is ag land, uh, corn, beans, and alfalfa. There's about 40 acres of CRP on it. And then 
the rest of it is a mixture of older hardwood forest, um, a regenerating kind of real thick popple area, and tamarack swamp. Okay. Now, is this swamp? I mean, obviously it's it's lower. Is it wet all year round? There's, it's yeah, it's wet, but it's there's not like standing water in there. No, it's more like overgrown uh, cattle pasture and grassy lowland. Okay, and is whereabouts are you seeing a majority of the deer bed in that swamp? No, um, I think it's just a little bit too wet in there. It seems to me that they tend to bed on the part of this section that I don't have access to. Okay. There's a lot more oaks on that end, and uh, it doesn't get nearly the pressure. Okay. So are you are you seeing um, them – so they're coming onto your land basically for food and not necessarily bedding? Right. I mean, they they do bed on there, but it seems like the majority of the deer that – um, call that section home bed to the south, not on property that I have access to. Okay. It's You sent me a map, and on this map you have some diagrams, um, yep. and you, you did some food plots this year. How long have you been doing food plots, and what kind of food plots are you doing? Um, I'll do a, like a 50-60 corn mixture. Um, I just broadcast that, and... Uh, and I always do a little brassica plot, and then I'll switch it up every once in a while with a clover or sorghum. And I think I've been putting food plots in for about 10 years almost now. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Do they seem to be working for you? They do. They're pretty small, so they get they don't last very long. Yeah, yeah. So let's start this. Let's start off by talking about this buck did you give this buck a name so we we have a reference for him we did it actually came about on accident the first picture i ever got of him or actually i didn't get him one of the neighbors did he was in the background of a picture of a a big 12 point that my neighbor had called lloyd christmas okay <laughs> and they were it seemed like whenever somebody would get a picture of that 12, then this buck was with him. So then naturally I just named him Harry Dunn. And for, okay. So for those people who don't know, yeah. For those people who don't know, those are the main characters in dumb and dumber. Right. All right. Good. (laughs) So, okay. So Harry Dunn is, how old do you think he was the first year that, uh, you caught him on trail camera. I think he was four and a half. Four and a half. And that year we had multiple deer make massive jumps in antler growth. So I have no idea if I have pictures of him before that or not. Okay. Because that deer that we called Lloyd Christmas was only a three and a half year old that the previous year was in that 90 inch range. Okay. And he was harvested in 2014 and scored in the 160s. So he went from 90 inches to 160? 162 is what I had heard. 
and you're sure this was the same deer because that is a gigantic jump. Right. I it has to be. He's got uh, a notch in his left ear. Okay. That happened in the winter of 2013. Okay. And I have pictures of him. It's the only 12 on the property. The only 12 that I had heard of on the section. And the next year, we had multiple deer make big jumps like that. Not not to that measure, but to where you couldn't tell what deer were the same deer from the year before. So you're saying it was, so that particular buck was a 160-inch 12-pointer four-year-old. I think he was only three and a half. Oh, three and a half. You know, yeah, because the previous year pictures, his body and legs just screamed year and a half old buck. Man, that's nuts. I tell you, although I talked to a, a, a good friend of mine, Sam Calora, and for a moment, that, for a while there, he had shot a 193-inch um, deer that was, I guess for, for the time, it was the highest grossing or highest netting typical buck in the entire United States for archery. Oh, well, in the world, I'm pretty sure. I might have to fact check that. But he told me that this 193 or 190, low 190s buck was, he he felt it was just a three and a half year old too. So sometimes these deer get just the perfect recipe of genetics and can, Mm -hmm. can do exactly what you know, what you just said and go from a 90 inch two-year-old to a 160 inch three-year-old. Right. All right. So it's hard to believe, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Now let's go back to Harry here. Um, so in 2013, right, you, that's the first year that you had pictures that you thought of this buck that you're, that we're, we're talking about, right? Uh, uh, 2014 was the first year that I got pictures of Harry. Okay, 2014. And yep. how big, what what did he look like in 2014? I, he looked just like a, a typical four-year-old, big, heavy shoulders, uh, real pretty, clean, 10-point, symmetrical rack, long-tined, not super wide, but good mass. Um, and from the pictures, I estimated him between 135 and 140. Okay. So now that this buck was on your radar in 2000, I mean, is is that what you're going for? I mean, are are you a it's brown, it's down type of hunter, or are you guys holding off for a specific age class of buck? No, well, um, myself, I'm after mature deer. The score isn't anything. I would just rather shoot a four and a half year old or better deer. But pretty much everybody else that hunts in that area is a brown it's down type of hunter okay. so we don't get many deer that get to that age now do you i mean it sounds to me like you share this property with a couple other hunters how many other hunters are are you sharing this piece with um there is i think seven seven so yeah. 300 acres between seven people and are are they all bow hunters too? Are they gun hunters or is it a mix? It's a mixture. There's uh, three people that pretty much strictly bow hunt and then the other four are, are gun only. Okay. 
Now, are you are, have you ever ran into a situation where you're stepping on other people's toes in there? Are you guys pretty much have areas where it's okay? I got this little area. They got this little area, or is it kind of a every man for himself type deal? It's we're all family, so pretty much everybody kind of knows um, when you're going to be out there. Okay. And we do a lot of talking to each other. If you're going to be over here, I'll try do something somewhere else, kind of type thing. Okay. I got you. All right, so. 2000 or last year, so 2014, he's on your radar. Did you did, was he showing up on one particular piece of the farm consistently, or was he kind of scattered? Did did you did you kind of have a pattern of him going into the the 2014 season? I didn't. I uh, I actually didn't get any pictures of him until I think the first week of October. Okay. And when I was getting pictures of him, it was. 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning on the edge of the CRP and coming into a cattle pasture. All right. So did, kind of a, you just, I didn't, you knew where he was going. Did you know where he was coming from and did you know where he was going? Um, and was he, was he just showing up on that trail camera or was he showing up on other trail cameras too? He was not showing up on any other of my trail cameras. And at the time, I had no idea where he was coming from or going to, but just that he was passing through this one area. I wasn't sure if he was coming from the south or coming from the east and where he was headed to from there. Okay. Uh, so did you have a good idea – of maybe where he was heading, at least as far as a, uh, a food source was concerned? I assumed that he was coming into either a cornfield or an alfalfa field that were on the north part of our section there. Okay. So and, so, so you, you kind of had roughly a, a – you know, kind of a, a little bit of a piece of the puddle you, or puzzle. You knew he was coming through a particular little area. You were, you know, he was either going to go to a cornfield or he was either going to go to, um, you know, an egg, you know, some kind of egg field. When, what time did you, did you try to make a move on him? I mean, describe the area, a little bit of the area that he was working and, you know, let us tell us about maybe the, the first time you moved in on him. Well, the first time that I ever had an encounter with him, my wife was set up on the edge of a cattle pasture in CRP field where we'd been getting pictures of him. And she ended up shooting a doe, came home, and we got the kids ready, went out to track. And it was about an hour after dark. And we came into the field, and then he was standing in the hay field. And what time of year was this? This was mid-October. Mid-October. Okay. So you you saw him, and yep. and how far away from where you saw him, were, from where you were getting trail camera pictures of him? Oh, 150 yards, probably 200 maybe. Okay. So not very. So technically not very far. Right. So when you when you saw him, did you 
in your head, were you thinking about where you needed to set up to try to, um, you know, encounter him? I, I was. He, in hindsight, and I kind of was putting it together after seeing him in this area a couple times later on, I believe he was betting across the road. Okay. And I had a couple different times thought about setting up in the ditch of that hayfield. The problem with that is there's no cover. Right. And that's the the circle little red area that you had on the map that you sent me? To the east. To the east, okay. It's actually right behind the house. Right. So you felt he's coming through maybe somewhere around this little low spot, um, crossing into the CRP land and making his way to the alfalfa or the cornfield across the road. Correct. All right. So tell us a little bit about your game plan and what you were, you know, you said you were trying to uh, set up in this alfalfa field, but you didn't, there was no cover. So was was this still with a bow? I mean, was it still archery season, or had had you uh, transitioned into gun season yet? No, that was still with a bow, and that's kind of why I was having second thoughts about trying to sit in a ditch. You know, it's one thing to to uh, try pull something like that up with a gun; it's another to get it within range and then try getting drawn and not spook anything. Okay, but then. I, uh, our gun season was coming around, and I went to pull the cards out of the cameras, and I got uh, midday pictures of him in that same spot. Okay. So I knew that he had he had kind of changed his pattern for the rut. And was he still was he still working that uh, that CRP ground? Or was he going, was he working even further west into some of the, the timber? At this point, I wasn't seeing any evidence that would suggest that, at least not up until November. All right. Um, later in December, I ended up getting pictures of him on the western side of that section. Okay. So did you have any other encounters with him uh, past mid-October of, you know, of 2014. Any other trail camera pictures, anything like that? I had quite a few pictures of him in December, actually. December and late November during our muzzleloader season. One night I had set up a camera. We had got snow. And the first deer passed there was him. So he, and that was that was pretty much right in the very center of that section. Okay, and that's that's even further west than where all this corn and alfalfa was, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. So he was moving a little bit further in in late November and December. Did you guys? I mean, did did other people on your farm know about him? Were he, was he showing up on their trail cameras as well? Did he? Ha, did anybody else have any encounters with him throughout the that that year? To my knowledge, nobody saw him on stand or even from the vehicle. I, he was just so nocturnal. It seemed like, other than that kind of one week peak rut period. Okay. But he, I mean, he was very visible on cameras between. 10 o'clock at night and 2 in the morning. 
All right. So did you get any trail camera? You know, you were getting trail camera pictures of him coming to your property. Now, were you getting any trail camera pictures of him leaving your property, maybe closer to morning? Um, no, it seemed like I would get pictures of him to where he was always kind of heading in deeper. I don't know which way he was circling back out to go bed. But, but there was a pattern and the only piece of the puzzle that you were missing is him going back to his bed, right? Right. Okay. Yep. So as the 2014 season, uh, kind of wound down, did you get, did you get any further trail camera pictures of him like in uh, January or are you running trail cameras all year round? Did you guys find any sheds? I ran, yeah, I try run cameras all year long. Um, in the winter of 14, it was super cold, at least in our area. So I pulled my cameras out just to kind of protect them a little bit, I think in mid-January. But I was, I was supplemental feeding at the same time. So we were having deer move through the property, but I had no idea which deer were there and which deer had left. Okay. So sheds, do you guys shed hunt at all? Did you find any of his sheds? We did. I uh, happened to be the only two sheds I picked up that year were his. Perfect. Where did you find those in relationship to the the actual contact that you had with him? They would be about a half a mile to the east. Oh, so or, excuse me, excuse me, to the west. Okay, half a mile to the west. Over in the um, so further west of the the corn and the alfalfa that where you had typically been seeing him. Yes. Yep. All right. So it's two. It's you know 2014 season's over. It's now 2015. You found his sheds east of where you had been hunting him. What is going through your your head at this point in order to maybe seal the deal on this buck? Well, knowing that I found his shed, I figured that he was kind of moving on to our property more as far as maybe honing in on his core area. And the only thing I was hoping for is that maybe this next year he would be a little bit more visible during daylight. So did you make any plans or did you do any type, you know, any type of uh, adjustments to tree stands or blinds or anything like that? I did. I, uh, I moved up the CRP line about a hundred yards thinking that I could maybe catch him coming into that alfalfa. You made a move up the, up the CRP line closer to the alfalfa in a cornfield uh, yep. to try to get a better encounter, you know, to try to maybe, you know, cut him off coming through the CRP ground. Did you see, I mean, any, any other areas that you wanted to focus on going into the season where you think, thought he might be crossing the road at? You know, I, I really didn't. I was, uh, I planned on hunting a lot smarter this past year and a little bit less to try to keep pressure down hoping that with a little bit less pressure, he would be willing to move during daylight a little bit more. Okay. 
Now let's talk about his bedding area or, or what you felt was a bedding area. It was right behind a house. Did you ever consider yep. asking permission to hunt that piece of property? I didn't. Um, it just felt, in hindsight, that's where now I, I've kind of put it all together. At the time, I kept kind of telling myself there's no possible way that he could be bedding back there. It's such a small area, and there's there's two active farms right there. You know, it, it just didn't seem logical that a deer like that would bed there with that, the habitat that's to the west side of that road. Okay. But now, after looking at all this stuff, you really feel that that's where he was coming from. Yeah, with the, the encounters in that alfalfa field and just thinking at it a little bit more critically, that that's the only thing that makes sense to me. You know, and one thing I want to, you know, kind of relay to the listeners of this podcast is, and it, it's typical, you thought there's no way a buck like that's going to be coming from there because it's an active farm and, and there's other, you know, there's cattle in there or, or some kind of um, livestock and there's people, you know, farmers are working that area all the time. When in fact, there's not any, there's probably not a lot of hunting pressure that goes on in that particular piece, which the deer are, know they're not being hunted and they can just sit in there and probably let tractors and, you know, cattle walk right by them all day long. And even though it's a real small piece, it's, they feel comfortable there. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, uh, I hunt on an active farm too. And, uh, where there's cattle and there is horses and the, the deer are perfectly okay with be, sharing, you know, timber and you know having to go through a cattle pasture or through a horse pasture in order to get to an egg field so don't don't let don't let it fool you again oh i won't <laughs> all right so you're running trail cameras again in the spring i take it right or yep. in, the, in the throughout the summer um yep. when was the first time that you got any trail camera pictures of him uh this last the 2015 summer it was actually october 27th i believe 27th or 28th so you did not get any pictures of him in the summertime or any pictures of him in september or even most of the way through october correct so and did, did to my you think knowledge no Nobody on the section did either. Okay. So what did you – why do you think he changed his pattern that much? Was it because there was other – there was too much pressure on your piece, or did you think that because of crop rotation, he was maybe spending time somewhere else? It, it could have been the crop rotation, and then it, especially with the suspected bedding area. There was a couple of different, there was a hayfield that got put in, and there's always beans kind of around there. So he could have had pretty much the same food not far from where he, I figured that he was bedding. Okay. And then there was no need to cross the road. So the first time you got a trail camera picture of him in late October, was it in the same area that you had seen him in the previous year? 
Yes, the exact same spot. Exact same spot. All right. So when you got this trail camera picture of him, what you know, what was going on in your head? Did you were you thinking, okay, now's the time to go in after him? Yeah, I, I, the first thing was I was excited because now obviously the deer that you thought you were going to be after all year was back. Okay. And then I was going to try and throw the Hail Mary if he was still showing up kind of on a consistent basis to try and put something together on the edge of that CRP or in that ditch. All right. Now, were you doing any, I mean, were you going to try setting in a blind or are there trees in there that you could hang a stand from? There's no trees whatsoever on, on any ground that I have access to. Okay. Um, I think I was just going to try and get some tall grass together to have a little bit of cover so that I could catch him coming across the road. All right. In a blind or just sitting out in the open? No, just sitting in the open. Okay. Did you try that and did it work? I didn't. I got the the one night I got a couple pictures of him and he didn't show up again till the uh, night before our rifle opener. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that night, that next encounter. The, uh, when I, the Friday afternoon before our rifle season, I went and pulled my cards out of each camera just to get a kind of perspective on what was going on. And, uh, that night before I got multiple pictures of him in, uh, the alfalfa field to the north chasing does around. So I had a pretty good idea that he was probably going to be doing pretty much the same thing for the next couple of days. All right. So what I had planned on doing is setting up. I got a couple of stands on that end of the farm, but Minnesota has a law that says anybody under 16 has to have an adult hunt with them. And I didn't have any stands set up to where me and my son could hunt together. So I ended up not being able to sit there during our rifle season, or at least opening morning. Right, because you wanted to take you wanted to take your son out, and you know to hunt. But because he's under sixteen and you didn't have any double stands, you had to change your plans. Correct. Okay. Yep. So. Do you, uh, I have one question, and with all this other property around, how many times were you actually out bow hunting? Were, were there other deer on the property that made your hit list that year, or was it all chips in for this particular buck? Uh, this this past season, we had a, a real nice, wide nine-pointer, and he was showing up regularly an hour before dark. But when I was able to hunt, it winds were wrong or it was hot and then when we'd get a little cold front and the winds were good my son would have a football game or i had other obligations that kind of kept me out of the woods so i was never able to get in front of that deer that i felt was extremely killable okay and whereabouts was that buck in relationship to this buck in in the same area or, or was this buck west of where this harry dunn was showing up no, they were both showing up in that, that same CRP field um, coming across and then entering the property from the east. Okay. 
So where were the doe? Where were the does coming from? Were they coming from that east property too, or were there any were there any deer that were bedding on the property that you hunt? They in the center of the map where I have that black X. Yep. There's the four corners, and pretty much the property to the southwest of that X is where they bed. Okay. It's heavy, heavy um, hardwoods, and it's really thick in there. There's a couple of good ridges, but I don't have access to that property. All right. So, so they were all, all the deer were kind of filtering out of there and then walking the edge of that CRP and the cattle pasture up to the, the corn and the alfalfa up to the north. Okay. So the does were, it. so those two bucks were, it's almost like they were, they were separate. The does were coming from the west to the corn and alfalfa, and the bucks were coming from the east to the, to the corn and alfalfa. Correct. Okay. All right. So, okay, I get it now. So it's now rifle season, and it's the the opening. You know, it was the opening day. So you you went somewhere else to uh, try to get. Uh, you know, tr- to try to get your son to try to yep. get your we were, yeah. We were we were pretty much dead center of the northwest quarter of that section. Okay. There's some good heavy trails there, and then there's also some decent bedding cover over there too. Okay. So now that it's it's rifle, you know, it's rifle, rifle season, you wanted to take your son out. Were you just calling it quits on this buck for rifle season because you were trying to get your son a deer? Or were you going to have some time to where you felt you were going to be able to go after this buck as well? I, I did. My wife doesn't like to hunt in the morning. So we had kind of designated that I was going to hunt mornings with our son and then she would take him out in the evenings. Okay. So I thought in the evenings I could try and try and formulate something to to try and get in front of them. So where did you end up? So did you have any other encounters with him in rifle season before he was actually shot? No, he uh, he went down opening morning. Okay, so the night before, the night before, is when you checked your trail camera. All right. Yep. Yep. Midday, the day before. Midday. The law stated, you know, because of the law and because you made a promise to your son, your son, you were going to take, you're going to take him out. And opening morning is when your father-in-law actually connected with him. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how, how close were you that morning when, when your father-in-law shot him and tell, you know, you know, lay the groundwork, tell us a story about what happened. Well, I would say that we were probably about a half a mile apart, okay. give or take. And what happened was the sun came up. It was nice, perfect morning, crisp, calm, but no deer movement. Um, there was no shooting going on in our area, which is extremely rare. Um, about an hour after daybreak, I heard one shot. And uh, knew it either had to be my brother-in-law or my father-in-law, just with how close it was and the direction that it came from. So 
I texted my brother-in-law just to see if it was him, and I heard another shot. And then he texted me back, and he said that he had shot one and that his dad had shot a nice buck, which doesn't tell me anything. You know, yeah. I mean, it could have been a, a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer. Or I immediately thought that it was Harry just because that's kind of how life works some days. <laughs> right, right. So you found you, – you, you weren't really sure that this deer was – what do you, I mean, what did you think happened? Do you think that as these does were leaving that corn and alfalfa area that Harry was following them back to their bed in order to, you know, maybe take one to breed? I think what happened is he had pressured or pushed the doe down into the, the, the southwest part of that section because my neighbor's wife was set up on the kind of right in that black X on the southwest side. Yep. And she said right before my father-in-law shot, she had a buck chase a doe through a nice buck, but wasn't able to get a shot. And 30 seconds later, she heard one gunshot. So what I'm assuming is that he had chased a doe out of the south part of that section, and he was chasing her up along the fence line to the north. All right. And so, you, so did you wait it out, or did after you found out that he killed a nice buck, did you go down and, and check it out, get get out of your stand and check it out? So well, after my brother-in-law texted me that he shot a nice one, I said, "Well, send me a picture when you can." And uh, we were gonna hunt till till my son wanted to get down. And uh, I don't know, it was probably forty-five minutes when it went by. And I hadn't had a picture yet, and I, it felt like forever because I was hoping to be able to find out if I that buck was still running around or not. And then he sent one picture to me, and and uh, I knew right away that that it was him. Okay. So at that point, did you get down? No, I think I think we hunted for another hour, and then uh, my son got cold and wanted to get down, and. Uh, and then, uh, since then, I knew that he had shot that deer. Then we had we made a short trip home. I only live about two miles from this map that I drew. Okay. And uh, went and picked up my wife and my other son, and then we went over to see that deer. So, describe to the listeners what Harry looked like this year. He he had just gotten bigger, but when I had gotten them pictures, he probably put on 20 or 30 pounds too. So I didn't feel that he had actually grown any as far as antlers, but he, he had, he had, uh, in, uh, 2014, he had a real short G4 and in 15, that four, the one short four grew and he was just a perfect 10 with good time length and uh good mass. Got you. So what did what did this buck end up scoring? It went uh, 156 and two eights, I think, is what I remember. Gotcha. So you know, there's the story. You know, right there, you kind of you you work. You, you know, you think you got a deer pegged, and then certain circumstances outside of your control 
make it so you cannot go after this particular buck. And in, on, in that moment, somebody else ends up, you know, stepping in and taking the buck. Right. Um, the only good thing is, is it was, uh, my father-in-law and, uh, this time when the deer disappeared off my camera, I know where it went to. Yeah, that's right. So, so this big boy got shot. Now what's next? What's next for you? Well, I still had that nice nine that was hanging around and, uh, But my goal still the rest of the season was to try to get my son a deer. Yep. And what, were you successful in that? I wasn't. He actually uh, elected not to shoot a couple of uh, smaller does. He said that he didn't want to shoot one. Okay. And uh, we never had uh, we never had a buck come in range that he was able to get a shot at. Yeah. Yeah. So so now you know it, it's I mean 2016 now. What's your goal for 2000, you know, the 2016 season? I'd still to to, uh, harvest a a mature buck and uh, just to keep getting better, trying to figure stuff out. Has that, has that nine uh, ever show, did that nine pointer ever show back up on camera? Yep. I had a picture of him in December and then uh, one of the neighbors actually had him about a half a mile farther north in uh, january okay so are you going to go ask permission to hunt that piece of property to the east of you i think i might have to i think you might have to (laughs) well eli thanks for uh taking time to come out on you know come out and uh tell your story about this buck and you know no matter how hard you hunt for a deer there's always that time when someone can uh you know, things don't necessarily work out as planned, but at least it was uh, someone you knew who uh, harvested that animal. So I guess good luck. You know, thanks for coming on the show and good luck uh, this coming year. Well, thanks, Dan. And there you have it. Another successful Hunter Profile podcast in the books. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that story with Eli. And uh, not really much to say today except uh, – Make sure you guys are going out and doing a little shed hunting. It's time to knock the rust off the legs from winter. Get out there, start moving around. And, uh, you know, it's also a really good opportunity to scout some of your properties. I know that uh, this year I had a lot of scrapes and, and rubs in this particular area of the farm that I noticed while shed hunting this weekend. And I know that this year, this coming year, it's going to be an area that I'm going to focus on a little bit more. And uh, I know a lot of it had to do, if you guys follow my story at all, I know a lot of it had to do with my farm being logged and it pushing the deer to one particular part of the farm. With that said, that that particular part of the farm, I kind of stayed away from because historically there is no sign. Now this year, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I'm going to put some more trail cameras in that area, and uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. But like I said, 
Shed hunting is not an, not only an, a good opportunity to, to go out and find sheds. It's also a great opportunity to stomp through some of the prop parts of the property that you typically leave alone throughout the, the hunting season in order to reduce pressure. Um, you know, right now, if you bump a buck shed hunting, there's a good chance that buck will come back before the season starts. So get out there find some sheds. If you find some, some big sheds, why don't you go ahead and, uh, send me some pictures and, uh, I'll post them on the, on, on some of the social media pages that, uh, the nine finger chronicles has. And thanks for listening. Make sure you guys are, you know, check me out on those social media avenues, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, make sure you guys are going to iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else that you guys see and listen to the podcast at and uh, leave a nice review for me. Other than that, have a great week and remember to wear your damn safety harness.